You're listening to a Rare Drop podcast. Check us out at raredrop.co. Hello, everyone. I know you've been waiting for a very long time to be involved with all of the amazing things that we're doing at Rare Drop, and now is the time. We are introducing the Rare Drop Patreon, so if you've ever wanted to get involved with experimental content or being at any of our podcasts early to listen in, well, all of that is available in the new Rare Drop Patreon. Check it out. Welcome to episode 16 of the Old Fashioned Podcasts. My name is Kevin. I am not joined by Mike today because Mike is busy doing other things, but I do have two friends along for today's journey. We got Paul from Rare Drop hanging out with us today. But more importantly, no offense, Paul. <laughs> <Not taken. laughs> no offense. More importantly, we are hanging out with David Parker. David is the founder of Beyond the Summit. He's also a, can I say, world-renowned uh, caster, broadcaster? Is that cool? I, I think so. I think it's fine. Yeah. I fanned in other countries, so yeah. <laughs> Dota 2. <laughs> Uh, broadcaster and caster, uh, who, who I've been for the last few days doing some research. That sounds really creepy when you say it like that, but in a non-creepy way, I've been looking up, uh, uh, things to ask you and chat with you about, but thank you for joining us on the show, um, in these crazy, 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 crazy times. Uh, but let's dive right into it real quick though. Before we start, make sure you head over to kingscoastcoffee.com and grab some of the freshest, most delicious coffee you can get. Also, the Rare Drop store is now open on High Score Tees. That's right. Our new partnership with High Score Tees is live. You can go to raredrop.co slash store and go to the store. David, you, your story is very interesting. I've, I've watched a few videos now. I've read some interviews. Uh, you've had a very interesting journey that I believe started with Warcraft 3, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of the first big game I got into. Um I'm a, I was a Dota player, which was a custom spin-off game that was created in the Warcraft 3 custom map map engine. And then it kind of became Dota 2 as a standalone game for Valve. So that's kind of where I began my, I guess, commentating journey. Is there anything earlier uh, gaming related that as maybe a little bit younger as a child that you remember? Like, what was your first gaming experience? Like, for me, I always tell people uh, I got an NES for Christmas and I lost my mind and made my parents stop everything and hook it up. <laughs> And then I remember the next point in the journey was playing Legend of Zelda Link to the Past and, you know, getting in trouble because I wouldn't stop playing it because, in my opinion, it's the greatest game of all time. Yeah. But um, what, what do you remember from your earlier childhood? Um, I think I got into the at least gaming a bit later because I never had any console games growing up. Um, I had, you know, three sisters and I guess, you know somewhat more traditionally, they were less into games than I was. So it wasn't until later, like when I was well into high school. It was actually when I was I was living in Singapore. My parents uh, were working there. So I was like 14, 15 at the time. And there's a big kind of gaming land cafe culture there. That's when I really got into gaming, I think, because after school, you would go with your friends, hang out, play video games in a land center. And that's kind of when I got hooked on it all. Was it, was it one of those classic, like, 
you know, arcade land centers, or was it more of like the the edging becoming the the internet the cafe, PC internet cafes? Yeah, it was like PC internet cafe. You know, add like a big mall, like you know, seven eight story tall mall with like you know cinema on the top floor, and then like you know the floor just falls down. There's like a couple you know typical PC internet cafe. So you know, we were just playing like Counter Strike one point six, whatever games we could find, Warcraft custom games, and eventually that kind of you know led on to Dota, I guess. We, we used to have uh, my the drummer in my band at the time, his dad was a pastor and he had like they had a cafe for the church and they had all of these network computers for like other gaming stuff. And we installed Starcraft and Warcraft three on those. And we'd go in there after band practice at like 1130 at night when no one was around. We we're like, we're getting away with playing Warcraft three in the church. This is great. Nice. <laughs> uh, but so, some of my best memories um, with that. But. Uh, so you found Warcraft three, and then yeah, Do- you got into Dota. Um, what was it about Dota immediately that pulled you away from Warcraft? Uh, what was it that was like, no, this is where I want to be, not over there? Was it the Warcraft scene? What, what was the appeal of Dota to to really what what became your entire future? Yeah, I, I have always loved the strategy of the game. Um, it's super complex. Um, just I think MOBAs in general are really hard to understand from the outside. And there's this big barrier to entry. But I think once you get into it and sink a lot of hours into it and learn all the nuances, the complex strategies, what's going on, you have to learn like, you know, 100 plus characters, what every ability does. You realize just like how crazy the game is and how different every single individual game is because it feels like no two games of dota are the same and i imagine it's similar for other mobas as well whether that's you know league of legends or heroes of new earth used to be popular where um i think just the uniqueness of any individual game is fantastic um you know playing like the original warcraft 3 um you know if you're playing like night elf whatever race you're playing like it feels like you know there's a pattern um that you have to go through kind of like the same set builds whatever it may be so i just loved like how different and unique every game felt and how crazy the strategies were especially with that team component as well mixed in um you when when you were getting into the dota scene from from my and i'd love to hear obviously if i'm wrong in the way i took this but you were trying to go pro at some point correct um and that almost the fact that you didn't is what led to bigger and better things which i found very interesting because i've had a similar journey as you where as a broadcaster you know i was it was good and I worked out and I made some money, but now as more of, you know, the lead in a company and running all of these crazy things and events, it's probably better. I'd love to hear from your point of view, what that was like going from, okay, I love this game. I want to make it my career playing it. And it didn't work out the way I wanted, but now things are the way they are and they're so much better. So I'd love to hear just kind of that story and that journey of how that took place. Yeah, I think for me, it was never like a conscious decision one day where it's like, okay, I'm giving up going pro. I think back in, I guess like this was like 2011, 2012, you know, esports back then was pretty, you know, early days. You know, there wasn't really a stable competitive scene. Um, As far as Dota 2 goes, Valve, I think, just run one of their big international tournaments, which had a million dollar prize pool. But there wasn't there was nothing stable about being a professional player at the time. That kind of, I think, came a few years later. So, um for me, it was like, I just want to do something gaming Dota related. Um, I got an opportunity to run some events to commentate them, um, you know, and I was based in kind of uh, Southeast Asia at the time. And there were companies there, you know, that took gaming a lot more seriously, I think, than, you know, Australia, which is my hometown. Um, and even some of the other 
some of the other Western countries at the time. So I got an opportunity to actually get, you know, some paid work there. So I think for me, it was just a matter of, okay, the actual work I'm getting paid to do is coming through being uh, a broadcaster, being a commentator, uh, and then later on also organizing events. Like um, some of the Southeast Asian companies are like, you know, we have a product we want to promote, you know, how, how do we do that? I'm like, well, I can run a Dota term and people are going to watch it. So um, it gave me just a kind of pathway to kind of create, um, a way to do that for a living because at the time before that I was studying I didn't really want to be in university my parents weren't willing to support me anymore they obviously like every parent at the time was like what's this gaming thing you're spending too much time in it uh, doing badly at university because you know the same old story you probably heard people hear hundreds of times where you know parents don't, back 10 years ago parents obviously didn't un- have, there wasn't a scene they obviously had every no right to kind of understand and support what I was doing so they were like you, you need a job so um I was trying to play competitively while still, you know, doing whatever I could to make money and support myself. And it just so happened that I kind of, you know, became more passionate and fell in love with the whole commentating angle as well. And uh, when did the commentating actually begin? At what point did you decide, hey, I'm going to do this or were you asked to do it? And I know um, you and I believe it was your current business partner. Like you hadn't even met each other the first time that you you commentated an event, and you just yeah. went in and boom, we're we're good, we're we're rolling. <laughs> and uh, I actually got I, they they played a clip of it, and I was like, my god, the synergy for two people that have never met each other is pretty ridiculous. Um, how did that feel? And and was it like almost this love at first sight? Like, yeah, we're we're destined to do this. Yeah, I, I think it came naturally from the competitive side because I was always, um, I think my value to the teams I was playing on was much more from like the strategic angle. Like I was often a captain of the team playing like the more like the support lead, you know, kind of trying to lead the team who a lot of my teammates were more kind of individually skilled than me, um, but I had like a good brain for it. So talking about it, um, being on a microphone was just like, you know, this is this is great. This is basically similar to playing. I'm just watching other teams who are really good at the game and I know exactly what they're doing, what they're thinking. So it was a very easy thing for me to do to um come in from an analytical point of view and commentate over these games um you know yeah back then the the kind of people i found online to commentate with is just like you know other people who had a similar passion for dota um uh david gorman ld the the guy who i co-founded beyond the summer with he was kind of a similar boat he wasn't trying to play competitively as much but he was just really passionate about dota um loved playing the game and we just kind of instantly clicked when we met online um, did Dota 1 have a competitive scene? It did. A very, like, small niche one, like, you know, the kind of ones you hear the stories about where, like, you know, tournaments not playing out prize money, small prize pools, but it was, like, a very diehard, passionate following, and there were some small tournaments. It just wasn't a stable uh, esports scene. It was, like, a hobbyist scene, almost? Of... Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, and Paul told me, uh, before we went live, uh, you're, you are in one of the voice packs for the game. Uh, on, on, on one of your, your most famous calls in-game. Yep. Holy moly. <laughs> that's, that's a good impression. I like that. What, what, yeah. <laughs> Flattered. Um, <laughs> okay. well, that, that's like the extreme validation to hit a point where the thing you've dedicated your life to has acknowledged you know, that you are a part of its, its, its essence, if you will. Uh, w- what's that feeling? How, how does that feel when, when they told you? <laughs> I mean, it was cool. Uh, I, they didn't actually tell me. I found out when it got added to the game, which was even crazier. <laughs> um, oh, cool. You know, my voice just showed up in the game one day, and I'm just like, whoa. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, you know, it was it was super cool. Um, you know, it feels like, you know, I made Dota's been my, part of my life for 
well, like 11 or 12 years now. Um, I started commentating it about 10 years ago and uh, been playing it even longer. So to have my voice in the in the game was just like this is this is freaking amazing. Uh, then as players went while they're playing the game they can spam it um it kind of got annoying you know i don't think many people <laughs> like hearing their own voice <laughs> especially when it's my voice getting that high and uh excited i was just like okay <laughs> enough um how did the implementation of uh things because if you've been doing this for 10 years now you've kind of been around for the gaming boom on youtube twitch coming onto the scene amazon purchasing twitch and taking it to new heights um, and then esports in general coming on the rise. How did that affect each step of the way for you? Um, obviously, now you, you have Beyond the Summit, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But as a person, as, as David, how did that affect you personally as, you know, each validation of, OK, I made the right decision. Oh, OK, hmm. this is getting even better. How did that, how did that work out for you? Yeah, it's been cool because, you know, as you get more validation, I think more people start to take you seriously. You know, first it's, you know, family getting a better understanding of what I'm doing. You know, then it's like greater friend circles and, you know, people outside of gaming who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I saw this article in mainstream media about, you know, this big tournament that you were at. Um, So I I think, you know, it kind of just reaffirms that, you know, it wasn't maybe as crazy as of an idea as I initially maybe thought it was when I was getting into it. I think even so, there's still like, you know, it's still a bit of a roller coaster up and down where there's a lot of uncertainty, especially with the way esports and gaming is. You know, trends change all the time. I think Dota is kind of one of the original esports games, along with like, you know, Counter Strike, maybe League of Legends and StarCraft, where it's like, you know, these games are around 10 years ago. So most of the, a lot of the newer esports, it's like people try and put like a timeline on it. Like, okay, you know, new game comes out, people play for a year or two, and then it kind of dies down. So I think uh, there's always been that worry. It's like, how much. What, what kind of lifespan does a game like Dota have? Like, are people are there still going to be twenty million dollar tournaments for it five years from now? Who knows? So um, there is that kind of uncertainty still. It's actually interesting because games like Dota seem to be taking more of instead of making a sequel, let's just make the game bigger and do new things and add new characters and whatnot. Um, I feel like Dota's in that pool where they want it to last another 10 years because making a sequel is just not worth the investment at this point um, in a game like that. I mean, you look at a game, I come from World of Warcraft and and MMOs, and you look like, wow, it's like, that game's not ending anytime soon. They have no desire to make WoW 3, uh, or 2, rather. Um, It's. Do you feel confident because that is kind of where the industry is right now? that, That And I know there's always the uncertainty, like you said, but... I mean, it feels like Dota is going to be around in 2030 and, you know, you'll still be hosting, casting, producing, all of that. Is, is that how you feel? Yeah, I, I, it is. I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are more pessimistic, but I think for me, it's like even before Dota, Valve took on and created Dota 2, there was this, um, you know, passionate fan base that just loved Dota 1 as a game. And I, I think the Dota audience is always going to be there. Uh, the player base numbers are going down, I think, year after year. But I think that's kind of a natural progression for most old old gaming titles. You know, people just want to play new games end of the day. And people who play Dota are getting older and have, you know, families, have other priorities. Most of the Dota audience is just, you know, in their late 20s, in their 30s, 40s. So um, they just have less time to play. It's like, I don't know. I, I look at traditional sports. I'm like, it's not a bad thing if people are watching but not playing. Obviously, I think for maybe Valve, their goal is to get people to play the game. But for, you know, from the esports perspective, it's like, 
uh, you know, things are in a good place. There's the viewership still there. Um, I think, I think you're totally right that, um, in 2030, there's still going to be, um, big Dota tournaments. Cool. Um, take me through, uh, so everything's going well with Dota and you're starting to host, produce, do all of this stuff. And then along the way, you're going to create beyond the summit. How did that come about? Um, I largely by chance, I think, um, things kind of just fell into place where I, I could tell my trajectory as someone who was into Dota wasn't going to be as a player. Like I wasn't quite good enough. So I was doing more events, uh, as a commentator and then also organizing my own tournaments. I think, I, I don't know if I consciously recognize it, but it was very much just like a, like something I just kind of started to realize is that like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to be better off if I'm on the side of esports where I'm the one organizing tournaments. I have more control. Um, you know, I basically create something that's bigger than just myself as an individual. So um, beyond this, the idea with Beyond the Summit was I want to be able to create tournaments and I can't commentate every single match in every single tournament. So let's create like basically a team of broadcasters to cover Dota tournaments and create this kind of Dota studio. Um, that was kind of the initial idea be- behind Beyond the Summit. Um, even before we all we did a Kickstarter and moved out to LA to build a studio. Even before that, it was very much just like, you know, we're stronger as a group rather than as individuals. I think you see the similar thing with like Twitch streamers where a lot of them have these, you know, these kind of groups or clicks that create content together. And that's kind of a similar idea to what we did on like a small scale esports level. Um, where does the name uh, Beyond the Summit come from? Um, it's, I think, you know, I remember brainstorming. It was with a Australian friend of mine back in the day, and we were just like, "What's something that's going to sound cool and you know really like have, have this idea? Like, let's push like competition to the next level." You know, obviously, it's like this. You know, what's what what's what do you what, where do you go after you reach the summit of a mountain? It's like, well, you know, you go back down, I guess. But like, what if there's something like even high, <laughs> higher than reaching the like peak? It. It's it's metaphorical. It's you know, it's like <laughs> explaining. I'm like, man, this sounds kind of dumb when I explain it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the idea is like, you know, it's something even like further than reaching the peak and then you go even further than that, you know. That's that's like the general gist. But uh, unfortunately, BTS is an acronym. We're not the most well-known BTS these days because uh, some K-pop band came along and I, I hear they're pretty popular. So, <laughs> but Doesn't that help your SEO metrics? No, not at all. <laughs> you know, if we were more data-driven, I think it would. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I find it funny that I, like every time uh, you're you're talking about the founding and all these little things, I see Kevin chuckling to himself because you know it we've had a, a similar lot of smaller journey. parallels to like how GCX got created. You know, yeah, I mean, in, G- GCX it started with like, literally a meetup. It was an it was in 2015. We, uh, 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 Gathalian and Professor Broman had a meetup at a bar here in Tampa. I wasn't even living here at the time. I was living in New York and working in New York City uh, in the event business. And a thousand people showed up to this bar, which happened to be, you know, in the same city where my in-laws lived. So we came down because I was obsessed with Destiny at the time and I would watch Goth and Broman. Um, and, you know, we I ended up moving because my wife got a job here. And then here we are years later and, you know, we have an office, we have employees who we, you know, there's there's I don't know. I don't even play Destiny anymore. I haven't played in almost almost probably a year and a half. Um, but you know, there's pictures of destiny stuff all over the office because it's so special to me. And, and I, I know the way you speak about Dota is the way I feel about destiny. It's the way I feel about Bungie, even though I don't play the game anymore. 
it's like so ingrained as a part of my my soul at this point that I could never get away from it, even if I tried. Like people were yeah. tweeting at us yesterday. Lance Reddick, who's the voice actor for uh, Zavala, and you know he did this this reading online, and uh, they were like, "Can we get him to GCX?" And I was like, "Lance Reddick's uh, invitation to GCX never expires. Like he can come whenever he wants to. He just <laughs> needs to let me know." So it's and and even just the business stuff you're saying, like how you kind of fell into it, and you're like, "All right, here goes the next step," you know, and I. <laughs> I know how you feel, especially when you say things are uncertain, because a lot of times when you take these chances in business and you try and, you know, almost change the scene and change the world. It's it's to me, it's like jumping off a cliff into a deep body of water, hoping you come up. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it's like. What you're describing now where it's just like, you know, you have this I can tell like you have this like just passion for something that turns into, you know, uh, a it's no, it goes from a passion to just being like a full career. And you're saying like, yeah, you suddenly, you know, we have an office, we have employees and stuff. It's like, that, that's exactly what it was like for us. You know, we had, <laughs> it was just me and David basically doing everything, doing like 10 jobs as individuals. And then now we have like, you know, 20, 25 people and everyone has a more clearly defined role. It's like, like we never imagined this, but it's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious now just between the two of you um, as somebody who works for Kevin, right. You know, and, and watching you find the likes of, you know, say, um, Owen, OD Pixel, right? Like, like, what's the process for when you're going out to find these people to work with you? Kind of for both of you, because like, you know, it's one thing to be an employee and be like, woohoo, I'm along for the ride. It's a whole nother thing to be like, oh, we built the thing. I have employees now. Like, what do I look for in those employees and kind of things? So I'm kind of interested to hear how that went down for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, for me first, I would say often it's just like kind of you do just take chances on people. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm very instinct driven. And if I get a good vibe from someone and can click with them, I'm willing to give them a shot and let them prove themselves. And, you know, if they don't live up to expectations, that's okay. And we'll try and make it work in whatever way we can. But often I feel like, you know, it just comes down to taking a shot on people. Yeah, I feel like people are so quick to say someone with an MBA might know better, but trusting your gut i i've i've probably taken a thousand master classes at this point with some of the smartest people in all facets of business and they all say one thing over and over trust your gut no matter what your gut is usually right um so i hear you 100 percent on that and 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 <laughs> the thing is too is when you bring someone in it might not even be the right fit for them and you kind of have to figure out what's going to work best and how they're going to operate in your ecosystem in the best way so I, I hear you on that. I'm curious to know where the name Gods came from. Uh, you know, it, it not much of a story, I don't think. Um, <sighs> just sounded cool. You know, you're <laughs> you're uh, sitting in a. I mean, I'm in Singapore. Get up to a computer, playing. I think it's probably some CS 1.6. You got to choose your name, and I'm like, what's saying that sounds cool? And uh, I had it was Gods, and I put a zero instead of an O. So I'm like, yeah, that, that looks cool. That's badass. Yeah, and I think I had to make a Battle.net ID. So you know, Gods was taken. So I with an S. So I had to put a Z, and then there was some brackets in there. You know, just do whatever to make it work. And at that time, I'm 12, and I start commentating Dota when I'm like 13, 14. Um, and at some point, it's just like it's too late to change my name. I've tried to change my nickname a few times because. <laughs> oh, I know that. that, that so. Okay, yeah. we're sharing stories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what was your name? I'm about to say. I just uh, know you was Kevin. So. So uh, my online moniker was my old PSN name from the Destiny days, which was K Magic 101. Because 
my old, I got locked out of my old PlayStation name one night, and I was with my buds, and we were trying to mess around. I think it was like FIFA or something. I can't remember. We were, something we could play multiplayer, and I couldn't log in. So I was like, I'm going to make a new PlayStation ID. You know, I've had a few drinks at this point. I was like, what about K-Magic 101? That sounds so good. Like, I'm going to teach you magic. And then it just stuck, and I was like, whatever. It's my PSN name now. Not thinking that it would be my entire broadcasting career <laughs> under that yeah. name, because that is, I started streaming direct from my PlayStation, and that was my Twitch name because of that. And then that was my career name until I finally took the CEO job. I was like, great, it's been real. Thank you so much for supporting me. And I meant all of that. But the first thing I did when I got in the office was like, I'm getting rid of that name and changing everything to say Rare Drop Cat. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear you. The, the day I stopped doing anything, yeah, on air, broadcasting, commentating, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make sure every, I, I, that's just removed, you know, it's gone. <laughs> but, but reinventing, best, yeah, rebranding yourself is just not something you can do these days, well, I don't the, think. The, the move is to use your real name. Yeah, so, yeah. Like Hi. two years ago, I started putting my real name in my like Twitter or anything yeah. I could put my real name ahead of my screen in, just exactly. like you do on your Twitter. <laughs> you, uh, you notice that that's, a, that's yes. the exact same logic I had. Same thing. Like, call me Kevin. Call me yeah. Kevin. And, and I, whenever I, I'm playing games on Steam, or whatever, I I make my name Parker because I most of my like coworkers, um, people just call me Parker. So it's like or David, but usually it's Parker. And I just I just never use gods anywhere anymore except. Dota events still refer to me as that because that's what everyone knows me as. So, yeah. so my last name is Monday, M U N D A Y. So I've just gotten to stick the, the kick the shtick out of it by using Monday everywhere because it's unique enough that it sounds like you're misspelling something to be cool. So I've just had the pleasure of being I Love Mondays for like the last ten years because it's a meme. Yeah, I thought he spelled his paperwork wrong when he when he filled it all out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked at his driver's license. I was like, oh, it's a U. Okay, that's fun. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of came of age because I'm only 20, 23. So I kind of came of age as like the Internet was finally learning the everything is permanent line. So I was kind of very cognizant of the, oh, this is going to be forever. Let's not do something super cheesy. My you wife, know? my wife still has her like scene girl email. So oh, when yeah. so when she goes to you know fill out paperwork we just did a mortgage refinance and she's writing lay awake dreaming at gmail on her <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh don't email my wife spam i'll come after you whoever you want uh, <laughs> but uh yeah th that was that's her thing so it's 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 just yeah it, it's, we didn't know when we were younger that these things would stick with us forever um so let's go back to bts um i know you've you've kind of started to dabble outside of dota what what's the plan there is are we trying to expand the brand and do other things are you testing the waters what's kind of the the moves with hey we're not just dota we can do other things yeah um it's yeah it's definitely a lot of that um i think that's the first goal it's just like you know we see kind of the where the industry's headed and that you know i think there is a you know a future where Dota shrinks or maybe, you know, worst case scenario, maybe the Dota audience disappears. Maybe Valve stops running the international. So it's like, we want to be in a position where as a company, you know, we diversify, we have these other games that we can lean on. Um, so I think probably five years ago now, we ran our first uh, Smash event. And then about three or four years ago, we ran our first CSGO event. We're doing a lot of Rocket League these days. Um, but at the same time, I think we've always been, we've, we've loved doing first party content, like BTS content our way, which is kind of like, with a bit more of a humorous twist, a bit more behind the scenes. We're not about putting teams on a 
stadium and trying to create that super professional um you know esl style content i'll call it um which on is you know not not to take a dig at esl at all i think there's that's kind of always going to be the content that's pushed forward as like the premiere the best of the best like this is like high level esports but what we're doing is something more homegrown organic and kind of i guess fun um so we want to take that approach to other games but i think to make that work we kind of focused on new titles that we're passionate about so most of the new games we've gone into has been a matter of someone at the company being like hey i i love this i love this title um we should do tournaments for this so like smash for us was a similar to dota it was just a passion project at first you know we half our company just love smash even today every dota event like this we always have a smash set up there so people can play can play <laughs> melee like it's it's just like a part of who we are as a company um and i think CSGO is kind of the same. Um, you know, fortunately, these are also just generally big popular gaming titles, but um, so it works strategically, but it's, I, I think it wouldn't work if we weren't passionate about the titles as well. I think one of my favorite memories is is watching one of those first BTS tournaments where you had everybody in the same house, you know, and like you just see no tail and fly and everybody walking in the background, like getting food and then somebody coming over to the casting couch and like yelling a random joke during the middle of the game and then walking off. And like the atmosphere is something I think um, the esports scene, like you were mentioning, just like didn't really have in yeah. the time because it was all the ESL tournaments. So I, I love that community aspect to it. Do you uh, see a difference in numbers when it, when you deviate from Dota because of, of your history with it like if you do rocket league is there you know a dip in viewership i know it's passion projects and you do it for fun i'm just curious from a metric standpoint does it change hmm. how you produce the event almost um i think every game has its kind of viewership um that is more game dependent it's not like dependent on us like i think we i think bts gets more viewership for a dota event than like another to does just because we've been doing dota events for 10 years people know us they want to tune in so um, I think we have to kind of prove ourselves when we go into another title like CSGO. Um, but I, I don't think we compare our CSGO viewership to our Dota viewership. We compare our CSGO viewership to another tier of CSGO viewership. It's like, okay, um, how are we doing compared to other tournaments in the space? Um, because end of the day, I think most of the viewership and audience you're getting in, it's really team dependent. You know, end of the day is, you know, as good of, a, of an event as you can put on. The teams you have competing is the number one driving factor. Yep. Like if you have amateur teams playing people aren't going to really tune in um maybe the like if you hire the best talent the commentators can help bring in some viewership maybe if you have like the best production the best content that can help a little bit but 95 percent of viewership is just going to be team driven yeah yeah agreed um are there any games that you're eyeing or anything you're planning uh to bring in um i think there's always a, f a few different ones we're kind of scoping out um hoping to maybe test the waters usually it's like we want to talk to the developer try you know do like a trial event like for i think last year we were really wanted to do um an age of empires tournament we had a few people who were into that game or it's like this would be That's cool awesome. age of empires you know i think the <laughs> scene saw like a bit of like a surge in popularity as well and then like there's i think age of empires 4 coming out soon so we want to do that um that's kind of fizzled out a bit so maybe it'll come back up not sure um We've talked a little bit about like doing Fortnite or Valorant, but I think those, I think that again, those are discussions which were more like, okay, these are like some big industry titles we should probably look into it. But then there wasn't somebody there to really push it along because yeah. <laughs> not many of us actually play those titles. So it's like nothing against those games. Like I'd be cool to do events for them. They're both, um, you know, big gaming titles in their own right. But at the same time, we weren't like as passionate about those as other projects we're doing. Um, 
what <laughs> this is more this is probably gonna be a funny question when uh, Warcraft 3 Reforged was announced, did you get excited that you might be able to uh, relive the old days, but then yeah. it released? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, Warcraft 3 is one of the probably like old school game titles I still try and watch tournaments for. It's got like a very small niche scene. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Reforged didn't really take off the way people were hoping it to. I enjoyed the playing the campaign because I had the battle chest way back in the day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, twenty. Yeah, it was twenty nine ninety nine. I'll never forget the yellow sticker Best Buy, and I grabbed it because everyone that I was hanging out with at the time was like, "Have you played Warcraft 3? And I kept it. No, I haven't played it yet. So I got it, and I played through the whole thing in Frozen Throne, and then I tried to play online, and I constantly got my ass handed to me, so I stopped playing it. <laughs> but the campaign was great, and that's what got me interested in World of Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's so cool about it. like they created this amazing like campaign for the game for people to play like, even if you just played the campaign you'd feel like you got value out of the game but then they had this oh, yeah. whole actual game like rts game with which was really the core product at the time i guess at least from an esports and kind of competitive point of view if i got bored i played against bots sometimes in that in that mode but that was yeah. it didn't last long i, I moved on to to, to Kevin other actually things. has a competitive bone in his body <laughs> I used to. I don't play competitive games anymore. I'm, I I joke with everyone in the office that I'm just too old and I would rather have a good story than get shot by a 12 year old yeah. who's faster than me. So. <laughs> Did you ever play uh, WoW competitively? Uh, I, I mean, casually, I played PvP when I first started okay. in WoW. Um, that was back when you could play PvE and PvP separately, and the gear mattered. Where you know, because well, I forget what the stat was on PvP gear. It was uh, it'll come to me probably. In, two hours uh but it had a proprietary stat that you had to get so i remember grinding pvp with my first guild because my my first mmo was actually lord of the rings online and then everyone at work at the time was like no you need to play wow uh it's better and i'm like what's better than middle earth and you know i got the flag of rohan behind me and the bell rung um i got sting in my office and then the one ring but uh I jumped into WoW and I was like, "Oh, I get it now! This is incredible! <laughs> yeah, this is amazing!" <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then the, the the guild I was with at the time, we were raiding, but they were like, "You should try PvP." So we started doing arenas, and then we started doing battlegrounds. I actually did arenas before battlegrounds, which everyone finds very interesting because that's like, "Whoa, they really just threw you to the wolves, didn't they?" Because <laughs> at least in <laughs> battlegrounds, you know, you have a shot. In arena, it's it's do or die. But yeah, that was that was kind of my introduction to everything um so your casting skills let's 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 shift a little bit okay. i mean i've watched a few videos now you have a have a really natural talent and it's actually amazing uh i would have tripped over my words at least six or seven times while making some of these calls and you know you're calling out the spells you're calling out what's happening and it's like rapid fire is this something you ever had to like sit in the mirror and practice or you know, it's incredible. Or is it just you sat down one day and it was like, no, I can do this. This is fine. Um, I've never had any uh, training or I guess wow. I guess what you describe as practice. I've never really created a way to improve outside of just doing it all the time, I guess. You know, after this point, it's like 10, 10 years of doing it. I, that, that's been my practice and training. Um, it was very much a learn on the job, learn as I go. Um, probably very different to, you know, traditional sports broadcasts or whatever. And um yeah, I get, I, all self-taught. Um, obviously, that it's, it wasn't all me. I have a lot of friends and people who would give me feedback along the way, um, and I, you know, constantly trying to ask people who I work with for feedback and advice, how to improve things I'm doing well, things I, uh, I can do better. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
I guess I, a lot of it came naturally. I, at the same time, like I wouldn't consider myself even in the Dota's place. Like I'm not, I'm not like the best of the best when it comes to commentators. There's people out there I look up to who are, um, you know, better at the shot calling than I am. Um, so I think that's always been really helpful for me. Is just looking at what um, the people who are at the top of the game, what they're doing. I, I think some of it too, as well, just for, for Kevin's context, like some of it comes from as, you know, he was the captain, like you kind of just learn intuitively as you're playing through a fight, like what you're calling mm. out and like, and then that kind of like ends up translating to being able to like talk about it strategically, you know, because it's one thing to be like, oh, there's the, there's the mystic flare, there's the echo slam, there's that, there's that, there's that. And you're kind of calling it out as things go, like where you'd want it to go and so on. And so you kind of end up having this secondary talent being applied which is oh you can call out the things that are happening fast and then of course the rest of it is hard work you know yeah and i think where some of my um i guess just natural ability for it compared to maybe other people um who are doing it came from was the fact that i had that more analytical background so you know I think a lot of commentators can call out the spells happening in front of them, but knowing what are the key things going on in the fight, like knowing which is like what what spell being used is actually the most important or winning them this fight. Like that that was something I think I understood Dota as like a shot caller to a higher level than most of the other play-by-play commentators out there. Um, but at the same time, uh, for me as an individual, like I guess Dota talent, like I've also kind of unique because I go between doing the uh, play-by-play, the you know the, the shot calling commentating i also do the analytical stuff sometimes i'm just on a desk as a you know analyst for between game content so i i think me individually i'm kind of one of this like versatile talent that you know a to will hire me and just plug me in wherever because i can kind of do any role i guess how has uh COVID affected bts dota comp scene just in you in your eyes esports in general maybe what has been the short-term effect, what are, what are we going to see over the next year as hopefully the world heals and starts to return to some semblance of normal by 2022? What are you seeing in your world and maybe a little bit outside of your bubble? Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really hard um, for a lot of people, for, I think, teams, players. I think for BTS, we're, um, we're fortunate. I th- think, and just the gaming industry as a whole is fortunate because we can go online um i think particularly over the last three or four years there's been a big shift in the move towards having more live tournaments in stadiums in front of a crowd so that was becoming more the norm and the expectation whenever there was a big competition was that hey these teams need to be on a stage they need a crowd that's when the highest level of play and the most pressure is on these teams um but at the same time, COVID forced everyone to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, we can't do that, but we'll, we still can have the highest level of competition in an online format. Um, I think particularly for us at BTS, we kind of excelled already in those more kind of casual settings. Um, we didn't run events in front of, in stadiums, in front of giant live crowds. So we found us like, you know, in some ways the last year we were actually busier at times than we were in the past. Um I think luckily for us, you know, we could continue to operate as a business. Um, You know, we didn't have to lay off employees or anything. We were able to continue to grow um, as a company. Um, uh, But, you know, hopefully things do go back towards having live events. Uh, I think the fans and the crowd desperately miss it. Uh, I'm a big tennis fan. I'm watching the Australian Open, which is on right now, which has a live crowd because it's Australian. There's like no COVID there or very little COVID there. And seeing the atmosphere in the crowd, there was a... 
Um, Kyrgios, who's one of the best Australian players, played a match the other night in front of an Australian crowd. It goes like five sets, super tense and crazy. And the crowd is just losing their shit. They're like absolutely loving it. They're all back in training. I'm like, oh, I miss this. We need crowds again. Yeah. You know, like that. that's yeah. something I, we, you, you know, it it just elevates the game to another level. And the, everybody always wants to have that when possible. I mean, we we live in Tampa Bay, where we just won the Stanley Cup. Our baseball team went to the Nash, uh, yeah. the, the World Series, and our our football oh. team just won the Super Bowl. And, and our quarterback threw the Lombardi Trophy <laughs> across a boat. <laughs> but I mean, you know, no one was there to celebrate Stanley Cup. No one was yeah. there to celebrate them going to the World Series. There was eighteen percent. It was mostly a list celebrities who could afford to be there, not you know fans of the team. So. Uh, I hear you on that front. And even for our event, you know, we had to cancel in 2020. Uh, we'll be announcing our plans for for 2021, which I can't say much. I'm going to tell David about it afterwards, but I can't say much <laughs> Good. Uh, about what it is. But I, I feel like it's it, the community is actually going to be happy with the solution we came up with. It's super innovative and original and different. And I can't wait to tell them about it. But I need some some legal hurdles to be cleared before I, I announce that. But like I said, I'll tell David about it afterwards. Uh, but um, uh, there, there's there's nothing like being around other people. I'm I'm personally curious how this this ordeal will change the way we interact at events like PAX and GCX and you know uh, if E3 even survives um, because we've always been willy nilly walking around like yeah I'm sneezing but I'm gonna go out to the Twitch party anyway and you know sneeze all over everybody. Uh, I'm curious if people will change their habits, how that will affect attendance uh, and things like that. But um, with with you and, and and moving forward into the future, what is what is esports to you as a whole? It doesn't have to be BTS. Where does it seem to be going? Because a lot of the stuff you described, like the stadiums and stuff, it works for a lot of events. You know, we're, we're down here in Florida. So Jabali, who runs CEO gaming and all that stuff, he has all of his tournaments. And he runs some fantastic events. But I know for a fact that Overwatch League did not get the ROI that they were laying out. And, you know, these owners want to get rid of their teams. What There is a middle ground, but what do we see? Do we see Overwatch coming, you know, that being like a dark shadow and everything? Um, and then you have, you know, the stamped name brands like 100 Thieves. But to me, that's more of... of they've established their brand. I don't think that's a good representation of esports in general. I'm curious to see your thoughts on like the next five years, what happens? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think esports has like two different pathways that mm. it's going down right now, which is one, the overwatch. And now I guess caught approach, which is franchising, you know, let's have these big leagues that are where you just sell these franchise slots to whoever's willing to pay the most money, you know, get these, get as much like you know blizzard with overwatch was just getting as many high profile investors into the scene to try and prop it up but obviously like you say no one got an roi in that the hope was that you know they could get more investors in the future and just somehow continue to grow through that um i think you know we're seeing similar things happen a little bit with yeah call of duty even league of legends a little bit more recently has gone down that path and then you have the kind of the more organic um, approach, which I think is what Dota's doing, CSGO, um, where it's just more an open-ended circuit where anyone can have a team, anyone can enter tournaments, there's open qualifiers, so you could be some random no-name team in you know, whatever country, and you can try and qualify for the biggest tournaments mm -hmm. of the year. You don't have to join up with one of these basically franchises. Um, 
I don't know what the future is. I don't know which approach is better. I think there's a lot of criticism and concern around what's going on with the franchising just because, you know, these individuals or teams who are buying in and getting these franchises, you know, they're not going to see RRI. Every every team's always talking about how they're losing money and they just have to keep doing more rounds of fundraising to keep on paying for all this money. It's, you know, no one, you know, everyone, basically everyone says no one's making money. So that that in itself is a problem, but I think everyone just sees this explosive esports growth, growth and wants to be a part of it. Like, I don't I don't know what the, the answer is there, but um, yeah, things are in a weird place for sure. You also see with esports uh, from the from the franchise side, uh, if if someone hits that celebrity status, they leave the team and strike out on their own because they know they can make way more money. Yeah, if they're their own, you know, Twitch personality or YouTube or whatever it may be. So I think having that is a secondary problem because you lose the person who has the talent, and it's not like uh, 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 soccer or football where there's another level. Like you're playing at the, the peak, so it's almost this weird. Uh, ceiling that you can just break through and walk away. Um, I, I I personally think the community model is is the future, and I think the community model will almost more like ten years, less than five, will absorb the franchise model mm-hmm. and make it similar to that, where there's representation for cities and stuff, but allowing you know the guy that or the or the lady that nobody knows to come in and you know be the Cinderella story and win the ten million because. They came out of nowhere. They won every piece of this tournament, and here they are in the finals. No one knew who they were three months ago. Plus, I think that's more engaging as a story, and I really feel like esports needs to get back into the style of storytelling and things like that because they've become so corporate because they're trying to be sports, and it's cool that they're doing that, but they need to remember who they are at the core and not try and be, you know, the the, football team. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is the organic one but it's still like a little bit of a hybrid because i think there is some benefits to what the franchises are doing where you get the support of a whole city behind a team ideally yeah, but yeah, yeah. um what unfortunately the way it's been executed but from what i've seen is that you know it's basically you're gatekeeping players from playing in these leagues because they have to be part of one of the franchises whereas you know professional sports you have to be on one of like these big orgs but you play high school you play college you get noticed you build up your own brand like there there's this clear pathway to get there which doesn't exist for a lot of these esports franchises do you think that'll I, change? Because in 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 even in our business dealings here in in Central Florida, we work with colleges, and you know we're starting to to speak to some high schools and middle schools. And I'm curious if if as that pipeline starts to open up with esports, that I spoke to a, a college here today, um, actually two. Um, do you think that as the pipeline gets wider and more uh, talent starts coming through there? That somehow at some point they'll they'll see the value and be able to create that pathway to the the pros, if you will, uh, from from high school and college. Um, I'm I think it could change. I, I guess my my gut read is that it probably won't anytime soon. I just don't think there's um a big enough interest in kind of the amateur or collegiate level of play. And I think anyone who's good enough to make it will just basically try and go like at least coming from like the Dota or like a CSGO angle. Anyone who's good enough, if you're 15, 16, you just find the best team you can play for. You prove your, you you make some flashy plays. You prove that you're the best on your team. That's like maybe a tier two team. And then a tier one team is going to be like, hey, this kid, he's 15, 16, and he's absolutely crushing it down there on this like 
semi-pro team, we should get when next time they need a new player or they're going through a hard time, they may consider picking him up. You know, that's how yep. um, you know, there's been a few breakout players in the Dota scene who are like 15, 16, maybe 17 or 18 more recently, who got picked up by a top team. And it's just because they got noticed by one of those big name teams based on performing well in professional play. I don't think you get noticed by doing well on a collegiate or an amateur level. So um, the pathway to pro right now, at least from what I see, is always going to be through trying to make your breakout on like a basically a, as the highest level competition possible. I can tell you the collegiate cir- the circuit is just a horrendous mess. You know, that's why they're yeah. talking to companies like ours about helping them make some semblance of 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 an organization so they can compete at some level. You know, so we're working with some on a, on a state level, on a southeast level, even on a local level in an intramural, you know, uh, after school county programs and things like that. And I think it's important to foster that because, like you said, that's how someone is going to get noticed, no matter how disorganized it may be. You know, word travels fast in, in the inter- information age. And, you know, if, if this kid is ridiculously good at Dota and he's in ninth grade, I, people will start paying attention. And before you know it, like you said, you started when you were 12, you know, and here you are. So um, I feel like fostering that is a good thing. But I also think you're right that they're so disorganized that. The conversations I have with people are just mind-numbing to the lack of knowledge that they have. (laughs) And if you're doing doing collegiate sports, I imagine there's also this kind of conflict of, like, which games are you running collegiate sports for? It feels like esports is (laughs) spread across, like, five to ten different titles, whereas, you know, you think college sports, and there's a few big ones, football, basketball, basically, and maybe a few other smaller ones. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and, and, and they look for buzzwords when they're trying to get funding for these things. So it's always COD, Fortnite. Yeah, Yeah, there's whatever the latest popular one is. Yeah, right. And we're like, but no, there's so much value in this because, you know, that has a huge scene and it's very hard to kick down those doors right now. I'm hoping that changes, but I think you're right. I think it's just so disorganized. I I wonder, um, since you were kind of there when Dota became, I think it was Dota was the first sport in which you had player owned orgs for like the first time. It was one of the first at least. So like, uh, I wonder what the pathway is for that kind of thing to arise as well, you know, because we're, we're seeing, I know, particularly in the Dota scene, like COD and everything else have kind of been solidified for years. You know, you have the big players, Hex with Optic and so on and so forth, you know, like what what the translation is between the stuff we're seeing with homemade, homebrewed teams who suddenly just like skyrocket to, you know, you know, the top of the the the, the basket, I guess, is what you and say there like what Hmm. what the pathway is for their esports to do the same yeah i think that kind of goes back to like whether or not the franchising or the more organic approach works because when it's this organic scene where the and the prize pools are dictated by basically the fans when it comes to dota or in csgo you have like your uh your stickers when you go to the major where you can monetize your your individual players and your brand so um, I think players and teams understand how to monetize um, way better, which means you don't have to be a part of an org to do so. Especially, I mean, Dota, it's just, it's all prize money driven. So you don't need an org if you're doing well at the international when there's, you know, $40 million in prize money. Yep. Uh, Paul, I know there's got to be some more questions, you know, for David before I ask <laughs> the last two. <laughs> um, I, I think a lot of it just tends to, to stem from, how do you, I guess, asking for the kit, the, the people who look like want to get into casting and want to find these places to, to work, you know, because I remember watching that first game with Owen where he got discovered doing, you know, his rap god Eminem style delivery in a three hour game, 
you know, for a random BTS cast. And all of a sudden, you know, he was one of the most beloved casters in the Dota scene. You know, like what what advice do you have for for people who are kind of looking at it and going, hmm, like I enjoy speaking fast, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the. I don't think there is like a traditional career approach to take when it comes to something like commentating the same as playing. It's like, it's very much, you just got to go out there and do it um, without any expectations. Um, Most of, or pretty much at least in the Dota scene. And even like, I look at some of the other scenes I'm familiar with. It's like everyone just got there by going out and trying it, improving, seeing if they enjoy it, seeing seeing how to get better at it. Um, I don't think there's like, there's no, nothing you need to go and study. It's very much just like going Go and talk about Dota. Talk about the gut feeling. Yeah, it's very much a gut feeling. It's like even outside of commentating, like, do you talk about it with your friends? Like, are you, do you feel confident just expressing yourself? Like, I'm, like, it's funny because I was never a good public speaker. I was scared shitless of public speaking when I was in school. Anytime I had to do a school presentation and speak in front of a crowd, I would clam up. Even a couple of years ago, my sister got married and I had to do a speech. I was terrible. <laughs> like, like I, I, People don't believe me that I'm just a terrible public speaker, but it's so different when you're talking about something that you you know and you're passionate about. Like, yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's so bizarre that like for me even <laughs> to think about like, oh, man, I'm, how did I get into commentating when I'm just not a good public speaker? But I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think those those moments are I think those are just some of the most beautiful moments that you have, though, is just being like, wow, I totally didn't think I could do this. Let's like, let's just wing it. And I think that's that's some of my favorite moments. Um, I hate math and I'm in charge of all the company's finances. So I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the other question, you know, just to kind of piggyback on something Kevin would learn from is is what's it like? running production as a whole for for an entire almost industry at some level because you bts is kind of the face of the north american you know production for all of dota at some level you know so like what's it like going from casting in your bedroom to running a company that is responsible and valve goes hey go cast all of our events yeah i mean yeah for me personally it's like i might i used to say my job was dota commentator now i feel like dota commentator is like my side job slash hobby because um first and foremost i'm yeah like you say running running tournaments putting on productions um i think the the big thing is we want to not always i I think we often get trapped in this short-term mentality where it's like we want to do what's best like right away for what's going to maximize viewership for this tournament what's let's put you know let's put the most popular team on the the best times and do whatever we can to make an individual tournament as successful as possible but i think what we've realized with dota where you know we were one of the original dota studios we've been running dota events for you know close to 10 years now is that we have to sometimes think long term and do something that maybe will not be in the best interest of one individual event but have some hopefully long-term benefits so um you know i i think it's the big thing is just thinking big picture which you know it's kind of in some ways common sense but i think it's very easy to get caught up in doing what's best um for the event in front of you and you know we notice that all around the scene we we do it sometimes we notice other tournaments or even individual casters where they make a decision that's just in their best interest immediately but then maybe can hurt them down the road cool cool love that yeah i mean it's (laughs) i hear you again Uh, (laughs) my last question for you is uh, and I ask this of a lot of people, what's when, when you look back and you have so much more ahead of you, 
But when you look back, what is the single moment where you were like, man, this this is it. This is you feel like you reached the top of the mountain. I personally don't think you have after talking to you for an hour. But where's the moment <laughs> where you, you feel like you hit the summit? Here, there we go. <laughs> if I hit the summit, I can still go beyond the summit in the beyond future. Beyond the summit, so we're good, exactly. We're good. <laughs> we got it. What's um, in the name? Yeah. Um, I, it's probably the 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 first summit event we ran. Like, um, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, what we're known for or became known for was running these summit style events, which is when we got all the teams and players into our house and ran a tournament in our own in our own house, in our own living room, in our kitchen. Um, the first time we ran an event with teams in person um it was i think we were kind of scared shitless about the idea of it you know we'd been running tournaments that were just online um and broadcasting commentating over other people's tournaments like that's kind of that was our niche was hey we're if a lot of dota tournaments were going on in asia and other countries people would come to us because they needed english broadcasting and we would we had our studio we could do it so the first time we ran our own tournament and flew in teams handled all those logistics and pulled it off and pulled off one of like at the time, one of the most popular events that the Dota community had ever seen was was kind of incredible. Um, it was also like absolutely exhausting. It was like the most I think sleep deprived and stressed out we'd ever been, and you know, miserable but blissfully miserable. Um, yeah, that that was definitely I think our biggest achievement. Like at least for me as an individual, and I think for many ways for us as a company. I guess at the time there was only really five employees so so uh, only two only two of the people who were uh, still around the company me and david that my co-founder but i think for both of us that was probably like the hardest thing we had, we'd ever done at the time my uh mine was i think it was 2017 event i was uh running around being a crazy person and uh i took a moment i was drinking some water and my wife would follow me with chicken nuggets because i wouldn't eat anything the whole entire day <laughs> So she would just walk up and like be like, here, eat this and try and shove it in my mouth because I don't eat during events. I'm just I'm so busy. So I'm sitting there like chomping on my chicken nugget with my water, like looking around for the next problem. And to my right is these this group of like four people. It was it was four guys, one girl. And they were talking and they were like so excited and like jumping up and down. And so I started listening and like one of them was crying and he was like, we have been playing video games for 10 years since Halo and we finally get to see each other for the first time. And I needed a moment. I like turned around because a tear <laughs> fell out of my eye. I was like, you made this happen. You made this happen. So um, that has always been my favorite. And now I kind of whenever we have an event, I go around the floor and I'm like trying to listen. And I've heard it a few times. People who have been you know, playing video games online for three, four, five, ten years, and they get to meet for the first time. And it's always exhilarating to me that, like, you were you were a conduit to get people that are friends that never got to actually shake hands. And it sucks now with COVID because I can't do yeah. that, but I have a feeling those moments might even be more special, you know, in 2022 and, and beyond. So um, I, awesome. I have one more question just because you made me think of it. Kevin has his event Kevin face he has this event <laughs> kevin mode Demeanor. of being mm-hmm. <laughs> where he, he you don't mess with event kevin person. you don't mess with event kevin event kevin like if something's wrong something's getting smacked down like replaced signs roasting <laughs> is is there anything that like when you're putting on an event yourself and you with your team that you just have this thing that everybody knows like don't ask david about this don't like don't say like is there anything <sighs> like that that you have that just is amusing to you at some level. Ah, uh, ooh. 
I don't think I have. Uh, I can't say I have anything that that's directly comparable to that. I, I feel I, like <laughs> I, I can modify the question. What's like? <laughs> so we asked about your greatest achievement. What's your funniest like? Oh my god, maybe moment at at one of might have been broadcasting, might have been producing. What's that moment you were you're just like, oh man, I can't believe I did that or or something like that. Um. I mean, the probably the worst experience was like I think I, I think it was our second summit event in our house was just we had computer after computer just failing on us. Um, we had a oh we had a PC partner um, that provided I won't name them, but uh, they provided a bunch of you know pre built PCs for us, um, which was basically what we had. So we had forty of these PCs, and they just kept on failing. We were just like, we were screwed, you know, this, like, how are we going to run our event? We had, so luckily only 10 were neat, like we have, it's 5v5, so we only needed 10 for gameplay, but we had this practice area. So we just kept having to grab them. We have to keep getting backups. We had to call up friends basically to bail us out and bring in a bunch of PCs that actually worked. Um, and I remember, I, uh, <laughs> so we had uh, one of the guys who's working with us, Roland, he's this Malaysian guy, and he just... So we're this is a three-story house uh, that we're running the event from, and he's just constantly running up and down the stairs, lugging computers. <laughs> he's drenched in sweat, <laughs> and I'm just like, "Alvin's screwed! Like, what's this? How are we going to get through this? Somehow, I mean, luckily we we got bailed out. Um, we got a, I think it was Red Bull bailed us out and lent us a bunch of PCs. Uh, you know, luckily we yeah, I remember this. We we knew we had some friends there who were able to help us out, but we were absolutely screwed if not for that. And uh, you know, <laughs> that was definitely a low point. I mean, we somehow made pulled off the event. Um, it was not our smoothest event, but you know, it we got to the end. Smooth. All right, Nothing you, ever goes smooth. I'll give you mine just so you don't feel like yeah, you're yeah. the only one. Mine was 2019. Uh, and we, cause we, this story? we do, we do fundraising for St. Jude every year. So at the actual physical event, uh, we have patients come and Ben, my, my business partner, professor Broman, uh, will interview, uh, the kids and we had Dr. Lupo up there with them this time. So it was two kids from St. Jude, their families are backstage. Um, and Ben and Dr. Lupo. And the 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 fucking lighting ring cat, rig catches on fire, David. Like it sparked, and then there was a little flare. And then my production team is like, "All right, everybody off the stage." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so uh, I I it, it was ten times worse because usually I'm not by the problem and have to come over. And by the time I get there, it's fixed. But I happen to be standing right there this time, so I'm freaking out. I'm standing on the stage, tapping my foot. They're coming, and. And I, I'm like, uh, and everyone's, and my my uh, stage producer is like, all right, calm down, you know, they're gonna get a fix. And I turn and go down the stairs past the families because I'm on the warpath now. I'm gonna go to the 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 stage team to the to the pit and and start yelling. But as I'm walking by the kids and their families, I'm cursing up a storm. I'm like, this fucking fucking and I'm going off. So I, they fix it. The kids are back on the stage. Uh, they're sitting back there. And Zach, who's who's our, our buddy at St. Jude Play Live, comes over. He puts his arm around me. He goes, hey, you're all right? And I'm like, oh, you know, it's embarrassing. He goes, you definitely said a lot of bad things in front of the kids. <laughs> and he's like, I just wanted to let you know. I don't know if you want to say something to them. I'm like, oh, my God. Here I am cursing about stage stuff of a bunch of kids that are, you know, either 
beating cancer or have beaten cancer. And and I look like so I go over to the the kids and parents afterwards. I'm like, I am so sorry for my actions. I apologize. And the one mother, she just puts her hand on my shoulder and goes, don't worry. It's nothing he hasn't heard at home. So that was my low, uh, like my lowest low was that. Yeah. It's probably better I, that you did it through, in front of kids who've, you know, obviously been through a ton of hardship than, you know, kids who had gone through a laughed. very seamless child. <laughs> one kid, Jordan, our stage manager, said the, the one kid was like laughing uh, as I was walking by. Yeah. I just, I remember him finally getting around the stage because I saw it from across the, the convention center. And so I book my, my my ass from the other side of the convention center dealing with one of our vendors, you know, making sure they're good to the stage. And Kevin's sitting there, arms crossed, like an old grandpa who's like kid walked on his grass, just tapping his foot, looking up at this thing going, that crane better fix it. Like, I'm not. <laughs> oh, yeah. They brought out the high-low. Like, it was a mess. Oh, it was a whole it thing. It was a mess. <laughs> I was. I, they had to move chairs from in front of the stage. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. It was uh, bad. But we survived. Memories. And we had a fantastic event. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really good talk. I've really enjoyed your insight into esports, into your career. Uh, uh, I, I hope we get to talk again in the future. Maybe we'll do some events, possibly work together. We'll see. Uh, but I'm going to tell David about GCX, not you, chat, afterwards, so he can <laughs> he can he can hear the cool stuff we're working on. Uh, but David, uh, plug whatever you're working on, your socials, uh, BTS, whatever you got going on, anything coming up. It's your time. Go for it. Sure. If you're interested in Dota, check out the North American Dota Professional Circuit, the best teams in North America competing, trying to get to the international. Um, and you can follow me at BTS Gods on Twitter. You got to change that Sounds Twitter good. name soon, too. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, go ahead and plug yourself. Uh, guys, I work with RareDrop. If you want to find out what I'm doing, you can head over to twitter.com forward slash rare job where you can find kevin also tweeting ridiculous things i said plug you not the company i do the company <laughs> that's how this ends <laughs> you can find me on twitter at twitter.com uh forward slash i underscore love underscore mondays m-u-n-d-a-y-s doing all of things hosting podcasts and such thanks and if you like anime paul hosts uh, uh I do. studio blank is the name of the podcast but thank you for hanging out with us on old-fashioned episode number 16 Go head over to raredrop.co and check out all the cool stuff we got going on. If you want to support all the entertainment stuff we're doing, you can go to patreon.com slash raredrop. Uh, we got some cool stuff. Kevin a Month Club is in there now for Valentine's Day. Uh, Tim is playing. Uh, oh, you'll by the if you hear this right away, uh, you will be able to watch. Uh, how do I say? Hotful? Hotful? Uh, just, just call it the pigeon dating game. The pigeon dating game. Tim's going to be playing that for the patrons tomorrow. And then uh, uh, we got the WTF podcast coming up this month. Then a whole new slew of stuff in March. But again, raredrop.co. Thank you again, David. And we will see everyone for episode 17 of the Old Fashioned Podcast with me, Mike, and Corey Thomas, who's the founder of High Score Tees. Have a good one. Stay safe. And don't get too drunk. <laughs>